Welcome to another edition of Out of the Box Sunday School. I'm your host, Takia Evans. Thanks for taking the time to listen in today. Our lesson is entitled Faith and Wisdom. The Bible background is from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and our printed text is the same, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. There are many contrasts between worldly and godly wisdom. People desire to be seen as wise. But what is the source of their wisdom? The people of the world usually don't think of looking to God for wisdom. But James instructs believers to ask God for it. The wisdom of this world teaches self-fulfillment and how to get one's way. In contrast, the wisdom of God is determined in holiness and love. The full values of the world press in on us from all directions. The letter of James affirms that God gives wisdom generously and unbegrudgingly to those who ask in faith. The epistle of James teaches us that the behavior that we should reflect should be the same as our belief. The book of James is composed of short sayings that are reminiscent of those found in the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. The Epistle of James is refreshingly practical in its advice to Christians, particularly those who feel the bitter pains of oppression. God, our liberator, reminds or remains on the side of his oppressed people, and God is speaking to them today. We begin our lesson this week with James chapter 1, verse 1. From James, a servant of God, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered all over the world. Many Bible scholars agree that this James is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. When James was here on earth, James was not a believer. But here in verse 1, James calls himself a servant, not only of God, also of Jesus Christ. And let's note that James calls himself just a servant. He doesn't claim any other titles. James writes to the Jews who believe in Christ and are scattered about or in different parts of the Roman Empire. And if we were to bring this letter into today's perspective, the recipients would be would include Christians all around the world. And then we get to verses two through four. My friends, be glad, even if you have a lot of trouble. You know, you learn to endure by having your faith tested but you must learn to endure everything so you will be completely mature and not lacking in anything. Now, I know some of you are reading from the King James Version, and that's that's really great because I will refer back to some of the, the wording in the King James Version. So here, James calls the recipients of the letter, brothering, if you're reading from your King James Version. There is intimacy here because James and the reader, between James and the readers of this letter. The closeness is made even stronger by the use of the personal pronoun my, which would have been, could have been left out, but he didn't leave it out. He wanted to let you all know that we are close and we're all related to one another. So there, this is there to affirm that they all belong to the same family. And James instructs his readers to count it all joy, your trials, your tribulations, you name it. We are to recognize them no matter what. 
And to count indicates a conscious decision of the mind to understand the situation. James is not saying that temptations are pleasurable, but we should see them as beneficial. And this part of the lesson requires you to get your mind right. So I will give you a few minutes to get your mind right. Okay, so let me continue on. We will always be surrounded by trials or tests, but they have a goal in mind. They are intended to strengthen rather than to trip us up, cause us to fail. James refers to these temptations or trials as divers, which would be all kinds of trials and tribulations. These divers may be persecution, poverty, economic oppression, or even sickness. And in verse three, James gives the reason believers should consider all their trials joyful. He says, knowing or no, meaning knowledge that came, that comes by experience. So knowing your mind, not experimentally. So you got to have an understanding. By the word knowing or no, James teaches that we are not to respond to trials emotionally. And the outcome may be not so God glorifying if we rely on our emotions. Uh, the trying of your faith has the ability of producing spiritual growth. So through testing, the believer develops the patient or endurance to remain under the trials and still praise God. Once we have encountered and overcome a trial, we are stronger because of that experience. And such spiritual development uh, prepares us for future encounters with both Satan and the uncertainties of life, which are sure to come. Trials and tribulations should not destroy us, but develop us. Trials can be considered pure joy only when there is knowledge that they are designed by God for a purpose. Again, do you need another second to get your mind right? Trials are tests of faith given to us in order to develop perseverance in us, and perseverance produces mature Christian character. Therefore, our Christian faith will be mature and fully developed, free from many deficiencies. James can, uh, cautions his readers that they must let patience have her perfect work. The word, uh, the full working of patience leads to three things, perfection, wholeness, and wanting nothing or lacking nothing or anything. We must let patience do its perfect or complete work and do nothing to limit, it, limit that. Even if one trial comes right after another and a host of them can come upon us, we must still be patient or let patience continue until its work is perfect or complete. It is essential that we allow the development of patience or endurance to run its full course and produce God's desired result in us. When we bear all the trials that God allows to come our way and bear them for as long as he desires us to and humble rejoice in them and humbly rejoice in them, then patience will have her perfect work. James sees the goal of spiritual patience or endurance to have uh, or to be a mature Christian. But Christian or spiritual maturity develops over a long period of time. A committed spirit will keep the Christian from being defeated before he or she reaches that goal. And again, get your mind right. We cannot use the Instapot method to become mature Christians. 
So when the work of being patient is complete, the Christian is also complete and entire and does not need anything. The word entire indicates that he will be furnished with everything that's necessary for our Christian race. And we will and and that will enable us to persevere in the end of the to the end of the trial and pass the test of faith. So now we come to verses five through eight. If any of you need wisdom, you should ask God, and it will be given to you. God is generous and won't correct you for asking. But when you ask for something, you must have faith and not doubt. Anyone who doubts is like an ocean wave tossed around in the sea. If you are not that kind of person, you can't make up if you are that kind of person, you can't make up your mind and you surely can't be trusted. So don't expect the Lord to give you anything at all. Now here, James now turns his attention to wisdom. In the previous section, we can already see that he is influenced by Jewish wisdom literature. And in this passage, we see the strong connection between wisdom and faith. Those who have not yet attained perfect patience may still lack wisdom. The word wisdom is not merely knowledge, but it is the ability to apply knowledge. Wisdom gives believers a sense of direction that will help him or her know how to respond to trials in a way that will lead to maturity. We can't react based on our emotions. To be wise in trying times is a special gift of God, and we must seek him for it. We can be sure that when we ask God for wisdom, he has it to give, and he wants to give it to those who ask. God also gives the wisdom we ask for liberally or generously. And I'm sure that there have been times when most of us, if not all of us, have felt unworthy to ask God for something, maybe because we were ashamed of the predicament we had really gotten ourselves into. But when we ask God for wisdom and faith, we don't have to worry about his rebuke or scolding us because God, he really won't do that. When the believer asks God for wisdom, James said, it shall be given him. Let us follow the example of Solomon and ask God for wisdom. And like God did for Solomon, he will give it to us with no strings attached. And in verse six, James now talks about how we are to ask God for this gift of wisdom. This verse can also serve as a guide to help us to pray properly. When we ask or pray with a believing, steady mind, the words nothing wavering means that we are that the one asking for wisdom should not doubt God's ability or his will to answer. A believer who doubts is not committed. He or she is divided within, them, within themselves. Trying circumstances can cause a doubter to be driven to and fro in his or her, in his or her own opinions. Mm-hmm. A believer who doubts is not able to focus his attention on God because he or she lacks a firm foundation. In this verse, James is stressing the importance of faith. Even though we pray to God, some of us do not have confidence in God. This is not due to weakness, ignorance, or immaturity. It's a choice to doubt God because of the attraction of other things, the desire for immediate gratification or some other reasons. A person who prays and then wavers or doubts shall not deceive himself by thinking that he is going to receive a response from God. Anything in person ought to know 
The end of such wavering is no answer from God. James continues to state why a doubter will not receive an answer in their prayers. James states that the doubter is double-minded, a two-souled man, a dual personality. This unstable man is the, is the believer who wants to enjoy God's blessings of joy and inner peace, but also wants to enjoy the sinful pleasures of the world. This condition of double-mindedness is serious because it carries over into other areas of a person's life. In contrast, the pursuit of God must become the sole goal of every believer. Now we get to our latter verses, verses 9 through 11. Any of God's people who are poor should be glad he thinks so highly of them. But anyone who are rich, but any who are rich shall be glad when God makes them humble. Rich people will dislike, will disappear like wildflowers. Scorched by the burning heat of the sun, the flowers lose their blooms and their beauty is destroyed. This is how the rich will disappear as they go about their business. James makes a third turn in the text. He turns to the subject of poverty and riches. In verse 9, James addresses the trial or test of being poor. In this passage of scripture, James is saying that although the Christian brother or sister may find themselves in, in humble or poor circumstances, which in itself can be a test of faith, should rejoice in his or her exalted or high position as a born-again Christian who has been called to true riches as an heir of God. This inheritance is much more valuable than the earthly riches that can be accumulated in this life. Now, don't get me wrong. Earthly wealth is not bad or evil, but it is unwise to trust in earthly riches. Earthly riches are temporary, and those who gain them by some unjust means will see them lost just as easily. It is difficult for the rich, and in this case, let's kind of turn it a little bit and insert the unbeliever who trust in riches or trust in themselves to enter the kingdom of God, as Jesus says in Mark 10, chapter 10, verse 24. Wealth can easily become an idol, but the poor in spirit recognize God alone and should be worshiped and, and served. There's also embedded assumption here that the rich people that James is speaking about are gaining or maintaining their riches by injustice, whether actively or passively. And just like flowers are only beautiful for a season, depending on the weather and environment that they're in, and in the same way, even being rich in the world's view looks good for a season and depends on the environment, and their wealth and their status will pass away. The rich, the rich man's wealth won't keep him from facing God's judgment. Trials, temptations, afflictions are more and more are a part of life here on earth. But with wisdom from God, we can endure even the most difficult of times. When trials come, as believers, we should keep in mind the progression to spiritual maturity. We should rejoice with pure joy as we consider our trials. For trials result in steadfast character, and steadfast character leads to spiritual maturity. In essence, James is saying that the progression to spiritual maturity begins with the trials that come our way. We should accept the trials as tests of our tests of our faith. Then in faith, we continue or demonstrate 
patience until the trial ends, which results in Christian or spiritual maturity. Affliction and trials must not cause us Christians to become shaky flaky. The Bible tells of many times when God turned a trial into a great blessing for the one who is being tested. Each trial, each tribulation, each affliction is an opportunity for God to be glorified, even the fa- even in the face of a difficult situation. Oftentimes, we do not create time in our day to reflect on our life experiences, nor do we pray for wisdom from them. Take time every day to reflect. Take time every day to reflect on your experiences and pray that God will give you wisdom. Remember, while reflection is important, wisdom is an exercise of faith. This is Takia Evans. Be blessed. Take care of one another. And thanks for tuning in to Out of the Box Sunday School. Talk to you next week.